Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from the founder of one of the largest private additive manufacturing companies in America on how rapid manufacturing can be used to produce your new physical product invention. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Steve Grundle to the show. Steve founded Midwest Prototyping back in 2001. Today, they're one of the biggest private facilities in the United States for additive manufacturing of new physical products. Steve is also hosting the Wisconsin version of Make 48 right at their shop. Today, Steve is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, small manufacturers can use 3D printing and additive manufacturing to actually produce your first production runs, and of course, the advantages of manufacturing in this way. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Hey, looking forward to the chat today. Um, I understand you just wrapped up filming Make 48 at uh, at your facilities there. Really excited to be collaborating with them this year. Uh, the live event will be here in August in Madison. And uh, my marketing director, Jason, is a huge fan of the show. And he he jumped all over it when he heard they were coming to town. So we're excited. Well, that's great. Really happy to have you on board. Uh, we've been a part of it for, for many years at uh, Macro Design. I think they've got me queued up as a judge for the finale of this season, I guess when all the cities then compete for the grand prize or whatnot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. But it's an amazing show. It's on PBS, Amazon Prime, you catch it on like airlines around the world, everything, right? So just, uh, it's great that you guys are a part of it because you're a big part of the industry and good to help educate uh, everybody on the world of inventing and product development and more importantly, manufacturing. So on that note, just to give everybody a bit of a background on uh, Midwest prototyping and yourself, and, and then we'll, we'll jump into additive manufacturing. Sure. Uh, yeah, real quick, Midwest Prototyping, it's a company I started back in 2001. So we were pretty early in the in the service bureau world to, uh, you know, we set up to print parts for people. I started with a stereolithography SLA machine uh, from 3D Systems back then. And uh, we have now grown to where we're one of the larger privately held uh, service bureaus here in the United States. We've got uh, operations here in Wisconsin, a facility in Westminster, Colorado, and we've got, I think we're just over 40 machines now, uh, many, many different materials, six different technologies. So we are very fortunate we get to interact with, you know, companies from across the globe, big companies, small companies, startups, researchers, inventors, you name it. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of creativity comes through our door every day, and, and that makes it a lot of fun. Well, I mean, it's a great uh, operation that you run because I can tell you, you know, running a design firm, so many of our clients is such a valuable piece of the puzzle. We need to, we need to make these things real. We need to prototype them. And then obviously, as we're going to talk about today, we need to produce those things. Yeah. So walk us through what's happening with, what is additive manufacturing? How do you use 3D printing to actually, you know, do short production runs of your, of your product beyond the prototyping phase? Um, just give us a high level of that, and then we'll we'll dive into into the details. Yeah, that's a great question and and a little bit of a tricky one because you can get a different definition for additive manufacturing wherever you go. Uh, the way I've always thought about it 
is that 3D printing is a technology and 3D printing can allow you to do rapid prototyping or additive manufacturing. So you can print one or two prototypes, you know, refine your design, iterate back and forth and and that's fine. That's a, that's a very obviously very proper use of the technology. Additive manufacturing is when you are making that same part or something like it, a revision of it that you then you know, that has a useful life out in the world uh, and is a production part. So you're manufacturing something for for end use using additive technologies like 3D printing. I don't know if that cleared anything up, but that's how I think of it. Yeah. You know what? That's great because obviously traditionally we would do design and engineering. We generally, when, when 3D printing and all that came out, we would use those for prototyping, which was great, right? Getting mm -hmm. quick, cheap, easy to use parts. And we still use them a lot. Like at a design firm, we're using 3D printed parts and other additive manufactured parts constantly. But the big key here is there's, I, I would call it a revolution happening where the companies like yourselves, especially you at kind of the forefront of this, you're now using this technology to be able to produce actual units, which our clients or companies or whatever else can then start actually selling. And uh, that's, that. it's an amazing, it's an amazing tool because traditionally it was prototype first, then you go to tooling, which is very expensive. You get your, your steel molds made and you actually produce your parts either locally or overseas or whatnot. Very time consuming, upfront, very capitally intensive in terms of cost. Yes. Um, but now with all these technologies coming out and continuing to improve uh, almost on a monthly basis, um, users have the ability literally to print parts and uh, you know, create products that they can sell. And that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it uh, it has really changed the dynamic, and you know the challenge now is around education and teaching people the not just you know the technology part people can latch onto pretty quickly and understand what the printers are capable of, but looking at the you know sort of the global value proposition for making something via additive manufacturing versus maybe more traditional methods is uh, is the challenge right now. People are you know people are trying to digest it and figure out how and when this makes sense. And yeah, so let's dive into that. Well, when does it make sense? And, and when doesn't it make sense? Well, that's to, the to actually manufacture locally. Right? What, what are the, um, the key thoughts to start? And then I really want to dive into that today um, and give some you know, kind of best practices to how if you're a startup or even if you're, you know, you're a company and you're developing your next hot product, how can you think about and be very strategic about using this new technology potentially in your either your development cycle or even in your manufacturing cycle, even if you plan to go to uh, production, you may still want to be thinking about this and understanding that this is potentially even a stepping stone in that process. So um, Steve, why don't you break it down a bit to, in terms of that kind of cost benefit analysis? Yeah, the, you know, to, to reflect back on what you said about the traditional process, right? Where you do some prototypes, you refine your design, you, you, you know, you do design freeze at some point and say, okay, this is locked, we're going to tooling. And then you have that expensive tool made, and that typically takes weeks, uh, several weeks. And then you've got an investment, you know, many times tens of thousands of dollars at least invested in this, this tool that has a, a lifetime of, you know, it can make 250,000 or 500,000 or a million parts or, or whatever it might be. So to really get the value out of that tool, you have to expect to make that kind of a run. And that's a huge gamble for anyone developing a new product. You don't, you don't, you know, we all have the the hopes and dreams, but you never know how your product will be accepted in the market and what, what kind of sell through you'll have. So 
doing, you know, taking that gamble works for big companies where they can absorb it. But uh, smaller companies, startups, you know, nimble companies can't take that risk, don't want to take that risk. And, you know, one of the things we've seen uh, in product design across the board is that, you know, things change more quickly than they used to. So your, your product might be great this year, but next year, they want it a little different. They want it lighter. They want it faster. They want it stronger, whatever. So now your tooling, even though your, your product is still functional, your tooling is obsolete because you need to make some changes. And so that tool that you were hoping to get millions of parts out of, you maybe only got a hundred thousand out of, and that, uh, that cost model of amortizing that tool has just sort of gone out the window. One of the things we see with additive is, you know, I, I've used this term pop-up manufacturing, uh, just like Times Square, they do pop-up retail stores for the holiday season. Um, we see this with manufacturing. We see this being possible with manufacturing where uh, someone recognizes a need in the market. They <clears throat> can very quickly then deploy um, some, you know, iterative design and some 3D printing, uh, get the parts out in the market and capitalize on the market while it's hot. And as the consumer tastes shift or the need goes away, they can also wrap it up very quickly. And you're not stuck with this expensive tooling investment and having to pay storage and maintenance on tools and, and sort of the long tail of, of manufacturing comes with traditional methods. Yeah, this is so valuable too, because you, know, you mentioned three major things here that I mm -hmm. took out of that. Um, upfront costs, it's very expensive to tool. Time to market, it generally takes a lot longer to, by the time you've cut your tools and all that sort of stuff, get your production, get it out. Um, and then changes. Right? The, the, your, your tool is a, is a one-stop shop <laughs> for that specific product. There are no changes or, or very, I mean, there are some options, but it's very limited to what you can do to modify a tool. Very difficult and expensive as well. Yeah. So you really are kind of stuck with with what you made, which uh, I really like the fact that you brought that up about the big companies. And I think that's very important. And you know, we've got a lot of hardware startups that listen to the show. I think it's important to, to think about that, that a lot of the stuff you'll read in textbooks, a lot of the stuff that you see in, you know, best practices of, of traditional industrial design um, leads to injection mold. In fact, it's designed for injection molding. A lot of the schooling that industrial designers and mechanical engineers uh, yep. go through, uh, keep in mind, additive manufacturing wasn't even around when a lot of these textbooks were written. So right. it's important to understand that this is very new and fresh technology and can be, uh, you know, have all kind of a, a, kinds of advantages. And I want to break down that cost one a bit further, because I think that's very important when you're talking about the first production run of a completely new product. So again, a lot of our listeners, they are either first-time product developers or developing you know, a new, new product in, in some regard. Feedback is one of your most critical things. And this comes back to what you're talking about changes. So one of the easiest ways to get feedback is to have real users using your product and telling you what they like and what they don't like. It's always, you're always going to find out stuff that you really didn't see. Um, both in opportunities and in challenges. Yeah. So one of the great things here when you're talking about additive manufacturing is if you can do 500 units, that gives you 500 real people using your product. And then you can decide, okay, you know what? Maybe this is sustainable. We're going to continue with additive manufacturing. Or maybe now that we really have you know, well flushed out our product we're going to, and maybe now have much bigger orders, we're going to decide to pay that major capital cost for your tooling. 
So I, I don't know if you've seen anything around um, or any tips around how to make those decisions or what kind of you've seen as best practices, but uh, love to hear your insight on that, Steve. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great point. And that's something we've been doing probably at least 15 years. We've been making parts via 3D printing, early prototypes, uh, and sometimes going into a secondary process we call urethane casting. But reg regardless, it's all driven by uh, additive technologies. And we've made many, many uh, copies of parts that are used for uh, focus groups and consumer studies, uh, sometimes being done at a very professional level where there's agencies or firms hired to, to run focus groups. Uh, a lot of these parts would go for in-home testing, consumer products. And, you know, people were contracted essentially to use, use these parts for a month and then write feedback reports and answer questions and surveys. So, so that's a, that's a very well-established use of this sort of quick turn, uh, rapid prototyping kind of mentality where, yeah, you, you know, the last thing you want is to get, uh, a warehouse full of parts and then find out that you missed an important feature or that the, the market, you know, you're providing X and the market wants X plus one, right? So that uh, that is a huge, huge opportunity to spend a little money up front and eliminate a lot of risk uh, before you really dive in with both feet. And I, I like the fact there that if you're looking at your first production as well, like you said, you've, you know, the bigger companies, they do this. So you're mentioning focus groups and whatnot. Um, but as a startup, you can basically have that same value by actually, actually selling units. And uh, there's lots of platforms to do that now uh, that never existed before Shopify, Amazon, uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, all the rest. And so you, you can actually have real users buying your product and getting that feedback without having to, break the bank as a big company would do and actually just pay for somebody to to do to do this like you said you know a one month use or whatever that's that stuff's expensive yeah. but i think it's important to look at it too if you're if you're making a small amount of units like that um don't look to be profitable on them right look at that as you know possibly i mean if you if, even if it breaks even that's great because now you've got free feedback so if, you, if you're selling the thing for 50 bucks and it's costing you 50 bucks to deliver don't stress out about that because that's that essentially now you've, you've paid for free. You've got that feedback for absolutely no cost. And that feedback's invaluable because these are real people who decided to purchase your product and are now giving you feedback on what they, again, liked or didn't like. So that is a kind of tremendous value add to allow you to push into the next position where you do your revisions and then push the market. And, and obviously with scale, even an additive with scale, the price per unit comes down as well. So I really encourage, especially earlier stage companies when they're getting out of that, not to look at your first production run as your money maker. And I know so many people look at that as kind of the, the moment where they're switching from spending money on research and design and now making money. But you've got to look at it just one step further where you say, okay, well, this is a point where I'm not spending as much money. Maybe it's even breaking even, yeah. but this is probably your most valuable step in the process. Then after you used all that, now you can start... As well, we talk about it all, all the time on the show about your sales power. Once you've actually had 500 units out there and you have people saying, hey, I love this. And maybe you've even made some tweaks to it, you know, just for problems or opportunities. Now you can get into much bigger conversations with, with much bigger buyers. Start potentially talking about those tens or hundreds of thousands of units in sales uh, to make your decision better. But it all comes down to looking at additive as a planned stepping stone before you plan to go into the big production and the big money parts of, of your project, right? 
Yeah, you know, to your point, if you can if you can be breaking even or even close to breaking even on your early units, you're doing it way better than the big companies. So that uh, definitely <laughs> that's a win for sure. Uh, you know, to to expand a little more on that pop up manufacturing idea earlier, um, we had a customer that made accessories for GoPro cameras. This is several years ago, and everybody knows you know what a GoPro is and and how that kind of revolutionized that part of the industry, but they made these brackets that would hold multiple cameras so you could get spherical content and, and did some really revolutionary, really cool stuff at the time. And we would make these parts for them on demand. Some, some months we'd make 50 parts, some months we'd make 250. Uh, and this, this idea that we could flex our production simply with an email or a phone call uh, was great for them because they did not have, they didn't have to commit to a minimum order quantity, you know, via injection molding or something like that. And they also had a very, very complex design. This was this really cool bracket that, you know, there was no way the geometry could have been manufactured via CNC machining or injection molding or any traditional process. So they had, they had really leveraged this idea of designing for additive manufacturing. And uh, we provided these parts at the pace that they needed them. And then, of course, the GoPro camera, like the iPhone, like anything else, changes every year, every six months, uh, whatever the, the current schedule is. So when, uh, when the camera changed, they changed their design, and we just started printing from that design the next day. So uh, it wasn't uh, wasn't a big disruption to their business model. Uh, GoPro had a new model. They had a new model. And then over time, of course, more technology came in. And instead of using multiple GoPros to uh, gather spherical content, now there were cameras that could do this. And it essentially obsoleted what they were doing. So they just stopped printing them. And, you know, we're probably left with a dozen of them sitting in inventory as opposed to having a warehouse full of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, uh, of inventory. So that's that whole, that's a little more of a, a direct uh, example of that pop-up manufacturing. You know, they saw the opportunity, they capitalized well they could. And when they couldn't, they could exit cleanly and, you know, move on to their next design or their next idea. That's an amazing story. I and mean, it just goes to highlight a number of the, the advantages of this you know, additive manufacturing. One of the big ones there that uh, is very interesting, especially for us as a design firm, um, th- we've opened up a whole new world of possibilities for what we can actually produce. And uh, I just, I, I want to highlight that because I think if you haven't worked in depth with injection molding and with additive manufacturing, you don't understand that there's, there's, many, many variables, essentially elements of physics that allow a whole bunch of different types of things to not occur in injection molding. Um, you know, you look around your room, you see, you see dozens of products, you've grown up around seeing thousands of different things. You assume, especially if you haven't been in the manufacturing space, you assume, well, basically anything can get made. But what you don't see is all the effort that goes in behind the scenes to work around all these crazy limitations of injection molding. Now, when you bring in additive manufacturing, it changes all that entirely. And, and Steve, I'd like to hear from you. Like, can you break down kind of the technology of why that occurs um, and, and why you can make so many different types of parts with additive manufacturing as opposed to tooling? 
Yeah, I can I can take a swing at it. This is always much easier if we're standing in our facility and, and looking at the equipment, but uh, because some of it's a little abstract. But basically, you know, to go back to the fundamental definition of additive manufacturing, you're adding material. Uh, you know, so a layer at a time, we're adding material to create something. And when you think back, at, you know, so what's the opposite or what came before? And that was subtractive manufacturing, right? And this goes all the way back to you know, the ancient Romans taking a giant block of, uh, of marble or granite and, and chiseling out a statue, right? They were subtracting material to get their end product. The same thing happens today with CNC machining and many of the processes we've been using for a long time. Woodworking is the same way. So uh, this mindset, this flip from subtractive to additive manufacturing means that we are now adding material and only depositing it or only hardening it or fusing it, depending on the technology, where we, where we need it and where we want to keep it. So, you know, the ship in a bottle thing, right? People used to do that as a, as a major challenge. We, we can print a ship in a bottle, you know, overnight. Uh, it's, it's not a challenge anymore because... Uh, I, I used to tell people it's like uh, it's like building a, a dollhouse, uh, you know, one of those big model dollhouses. But instead of working through the doors and the windows, you're you're kind of laying the bricks or building it vertically as you go up, and you can do everything on the inside as you're building the outside. Because you're you're always working in a in one plane, and as you advance, you can get away with anything internally. Um, and, and it's got so advanced now and there's so many different methods. One of the things that, I, you know, we were always excited about when it came in was all the, you know, dissolving fluids that you could use. So you could literally print something hovering, like imagine a marble in the middle of a mesh ball. The marble can't get out the mesh ball, but you could print that in there um, with, with, with essentially two layers. One yeah. layer is the material you want to remain. The other layer can get dissolved out with a dissolvent. Right. So after you've printed this thing, you dip it in a bucket pop it out. Now you've got this marble rattling around inside your mesh ball. Yeah. And, you know, you imagine you've got all these different technologies now available. Think of the, the future of innovation and inventions. There's going to be so many different things that, that everyday people are going to look around and say, Hey, I wonder if this could be done or that uh, my life would improve by that way. Traditionally, they'd call an engineering design firm like ours. And we'd say, oh, yeah, that's, that's impossible. Now we've got all these new tools. We may look at all these innovations that 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 up until maybe let's say ten to twenty years ago were impossible. Nowadays can be done, and not only can be done, can be done now in in, in production scale, which I think is really the, the the major winning ticket here. And I think that's going to be the future. If we look at the next twenty to thirty years. I'm a big believer that as additive, it's just like the printer, right? As as the as the technology improves for printing, the cost per unit comes down and down and down. The speed of execution, the quality uh, improves, all that sort of stuff. So that I, I think right now, not only is it a viable option as a as a stepping stone, or potentially for a number of different products, um, to actually, like you mentioned, that that GoPro housing, mm -hmm. um, very very functional, uh, very profitable business, if, if looked at it that way. But I think it's going to come even further and further. Um, up the value chain where many, many products that are being injection molded today could be done in additive. And then you add all these advantages that we've talked about on this call, and you really are, you're looking at the future of design here. And uh, Steve, you guys are, are at the forefront of this. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's great to hear your insight on all of that. Are there any other kind of um, benefits that you really see in terms of additive or stuff that people should know when they're thinking about additive um, for their, you know, upcoming product? Well, I think, you know, 
I don't want to give the impression that that we believe additive is going to displace or supplant injection molding. You know, injection molding is here to stay. It's a very mature process. It works amazing. It's highly developed. You know, additive is going to chip away at the edges where injection molding maybe is being misapplied, right? The low volume uh, where you're having to pay too much money to get, uh, you know, a small number of parts uh, or where we can take, you know, in injection molding, we had to make, uh, we had to mold part A and part B and part C in separate tools just because of some of those geometry limitations and uh, the realities of injection molding. If we can combine that CAD into one part and print it, uh, you know, we're saving the assembly time, we're saving the QC time, we're saving the, the multiple uh, pieces of tooling. So really those are some of the advantages of additive where we need to, you know, we, we need to assess where it works and where it doesn't. It's not, uh, it's not a one size fits all thing, right? You can, you can make anything with additive. It just doesn't mean it's a good idea. <laughs> so, um, so having some guidance from a, from a design firm that's experienced in additive or from a, a service bureau like ours, that's, you know, doing this digital manufacturing and can really help, you know, we, we tell a lot of people, don't spend the money. Don't waste the money. You're not ready yet. Or, you know, let's let's look at this a different way uh, because we want to bring value to people, right? I mean, the, if, if, it, if it's a bunch of hype and it's misapplied, uh, you know, it will damage us all in the long run. So we're trying to, to make sure that we're picking and choosing the right applications and, uh, you know, adding value wherever we can. But I, I think that brings, you know, a, a key discussion that needs to be had with your, you know, with your design team early on in the process. It's looking at this and, and understanding if it's right for your product, um, either as, you know, like, like you mentioned for the GoPro camera, is this is something that will just work forever? Or can you use it as a stepping stone? You know, you're going to first do additive maybe for 500 or 1000 units test, refine, go to market, then maybe step up to injection molding. Mm -hmm. uh, or are you going to use additive for your prototyping? Um, you know, maybe you really are intending your first orders massive, or you do intend, you know, once you have your fixed part, that that is going to be the part for a few years. Well, you can still use additive for the early development stuff, as is very common <laughs> at design. From, so I, for, from our perspective, one of the things that we love to do early on with the client is really look at they're what they're planning to how they're planning to sell the product mm -hmm. when they first release it to market because i think this is where if you're looking at it and you say okay well, we're going to do a crowdfunding campaign we're hoping to sell 500 to a thousand units and we've now added all this value to the product timeliness is important to us we think we may be make, maybe making changes well based on the discussion we had today uh it starts to paint the picture that additive may very well be the you know the best option for your product now, I would take that one step further and something, again, that we're doing with our clients quite on a regular basis when we're designing and we would be working with a firm like yours to actually produce this stuff. What we want to do is then if we are going to look at additive manufacturing for the early production runs, we want to be thinking about that when we start, even in our sketching, our industrial design, as we're doing some of our mechanical engineering, even as we go into rough prototyping and refined prototyping, we want to be looking at the methodologies and tools that make it very easy and cost effective to actually produce those parts. Because if you've designed for injection molding, it's gonna be very different than if you've designed for additive. And if you've thought about it additive from the beginning, 
you can really, like you said, pull on a bunch of those levers to maximize the value you're going to get out of those early production runs, um, both from a cost perspective, but also from a value perspective to the customer, right? What does the customer need and, yeah. and what, what are the options available to them by using additive to fulfill those, those orders? Yeah, you touched on something there, Kevin, about, you know, designing, you're considering this from the beginning of the design process and, you know, we need to get the old guys like me out of the system and all these, these youngsters that are coming up having, you know, used 3D printing from an early age uh, and, and understand the idea of designing for functionality and designing for the sake of the design and accomplishing what they want with the design versus having to work around this, this list of rules or this sort of box of constraints that comes with more traditional manufacturing technologies. Um, that is, uh, you know, that's what people my generation and older sort of have been burdened with, right? You, you know, you can, you can think up the greatest thing in the world, but if you can't make it, and traditionally that was a challenge, then, then it kind of wasn't worth the effort. And now we can focus more on designing for that, that functionality, that optimum performance. And, uh, you know, we can, we can probably figure out a way to make it now that we didn't have available to us in the past. Yeah, it's amazing. Very excited. Uh, Steve, really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, if, if people want to learn more, um, of course, we'll have all the show notes. Uh, but what is the, the exact website address for those that are listening in? Yeah, you can find us at Midwest Proto, MidwestPROTO.com. And we've got, uh, you know, pretty good description there of all the different technologies, the materials. Obviously, it's changing every day where we do our best to keep up. This is a really dynamic space, but uh, that's what makes it fun. So uh, thank you very much for having us on. Much appreciated, Steve. Thanks again. All right. Take care, Kevin. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time